Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Looking at the book of Acts. Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him for, because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they travelled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Nepalus. From there, we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira, named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When, when she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and step my house, and she persuaded us. Uh, I'll just say a quick prayer before Matthew comes to speak. Matthew comes to speak. Father, thank you for bringing everyone here safely today. Uh, thank you for the glorious sun. Um, I just pray that you would settle our hearts, um, that we could be, um, yeah, that they would be open to hear what Matthew comes to preach today. Amen. It's a good afternoon, everyone. Um, my name is Maffey. If, uh, if I haven't met you before, I'd love to connect with you maybe after the service. If you're visiting us, you're really, really welcome. You know, cities are often places that are brimming with opportunity, whether it's a diverse culture, it could be the cafes, it could be, could be all the jobs, it could be sports, it could be studying. But equally, where there is opportunity, there, there are also hard knocks, and there's also rejection, there's pushback, and there's closed doors. And so many of us will know what it is to have doors closed in our face in, the lives, in our lives. Maybe you've got a rejection. Maybe somebody has said no or a door has slammed shut. And I hope that's not a physical one, but, but many of us will have a, many metaphorical doors closed in our lives. And uh, I, I know all too well what it is to get that letter in the post that says, I regret to inform you, but... And so we, we, all, we all know that in, in some way, shape or form. I remember back in 09, a long time ago, whenever I was in college, I was just finishing my second year in college. I was polishing up my CV and I began to apply for placements 
uh, as part of my degree. And, and as somebody who likes to be liked and as somebody who actually fears rejection, I get tons of, of, of rejections. I get tons of letters back rejecting me, saying I regret to inform you. In fact, I, I got lots of rejections through people that didn't even get back to me. They probably just threw it in the bin. Closed door after closed door. And so this went on for months. I mean, I'd been applying from the start of January, and this was going on for, for ages. And uh, I finally secured my placement for third year back in June. So it was about six months this was going on. And in that moment, it didn't appear all that sig significant in the sense I'd been applying. Eventually, I got somewhere. I had prayed about it. I'd sought God about it. I'd handed it over to him. I'd spent lots of time in prayer. I was thinking, God, what, what are you doing? Where are you leading me? What direction am I going? Am, am, am I going to have to go into final year? Am I going to get a chance to, to go on placement? God, what, what, what are you doing in this moment? So I ended, ended up handing it over to him, and the opportunity appeared whenever all the other doors uh, seemed to be closed. And so as we explore the first part of Acts 16, we see something similar happening with the Apostle Paul and his band of missionaries. They encountered closed door after closed door. And so as we engage with the text in God's word today, I want us to consider two questions of the text. How do we respond when it seems like God is closing door after door? And why shouldn't we give up pushing doors? So this isn't just the Apostle Paul's travel log today, but instead what we are observing is the unfolding of God's redemptive plan that he promised through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so every year after Easter, we at Christ City Church spend a short time, a short series in the book of Acts. In the aftermath of the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon God's people and they're given a mandate. And Jesus says to them in Acts chapter one that they will receive power and they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so in this particular short series, we pick up in Paul's second missionary journey, which we'll explore from chapters 16 to 20. And we're going to see the gospel spread into all these Roman cities and colonies, but also into Europe for the very first time. And so church, the mandate for us is no different today. We're called to be witnesses of the very same gospel here in Dublin. So the first part of Paul's second missionary journey is a, is a story of open doors. Uh, if you see in the first few verses, he'd spent the last several months telling churches in Samaria, Phoenicia, and Syria about how the Lord had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. This was at the, at the end of chapter 15. The gospel was for everyone. It was for the Jew. It was for the Gentile alike. Faith in Christ alone was sufficient. So in, in Acts 15, the Council of Jerusalem affirmed Paul's ministry and they give him written confirmation of the gospel of grace and they send him and Silas out and they say, right, you guys can go, you go to the Gentiles, you proclaim the gospel. Paul's home church in Antioch uh, enthusiastically commissioned the guys and sent them on their way. And as you see, they, they went to Derbe, to Lystra and Iconium. And interestingly, these are all places that Paul had already been where churches had previously been planted and he was strengthening the churches. So anyway, first few verses, things are going swimmingly. Paul and Silas even found a young promising student, Timothy, a young guy who was eager to learn about ministry. He was a young lad of good reputation whose mother and grandmother were faithful to the gospel. You know, in Timothy, we have our very first ever second generation Christian. I've got the privilege of being a third generation Christian. Maybe some of you are first-generation Christians. Maybe some of you are second-generation Christians. 
you know, there's a lot to be said for growing up in a Christian family. And many of us don't have that privilege. Some of us do. Timothy was a guy who grew up in a, in a Christian family. What a privilege it was for him. So anyway, Timothy joins them. And they head off. And the question then I, wanna, I want us to, to look at is, how do we respond whenever it seems that like God closes door after door? Because up to this point, the doors are open, things are good, everything's great. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 tells us, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Magia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Magia and went down to Troas. Can you imagine this? They set off, and as, as they set off, they're on their way. And all of a sudden, the word of the Lord comes to them, and the Lord says, no, you, you don't go there. You're going somewhere else. All of a sudden, the doors seemed to slam shut. They were heading for the province of Asia. And guys, we're not told how. We're not given the how when it comes to the Holy Spirit preventing them from preaching the gospel. But one way or another, it could have been a letter. It could have been a threat. We, we don't know what it is, but they are prevented from going to the province of Asia. But what do they do? Well, they move on northward toward Bithynia. So anyway, they, they, they get one no and they move on northward. And then once, once again, it says the spirit of Jesus said no. Again, we don't know what, what form that took, what that looked like. But as they went northwards towards Bithynia, Jesus says, no, you're, you're not going there. You may hang a left. So they passed by Magia and went down to the port town of Troas. So what was God doing? We were given no indication at all in the text as to why, the why behind the closed doors. But what we will come across is that God knows what he's at. And this is God's divine guidance. So how do we respond when it seems like God is closing door after door? We take heart because God divinely guides. So these aren't 30-minute walks to each of the different regions. These guys are taking days or even taking weeks to travel hundreds of kilometers on foot only to be prevented from entering a certain region. Closed door after closed door. So what then? Well, of course, move on to the next one. What is God doing with them? Surely, surely it seemed like a bit of a waste. Surely they could have just stayed at home and went and ministered to the people around them whenever it maybe would have been more effective rather than heading off hundreds of kilometers. But God was clearly orchestrating something even whenever the lads couldn't see it and even when they could not comprehend it. David Livingston, who set up the London Missionary Society in the 1800s, planned to go to China. It was his dream, it was his vision. He sensed God calling him to China and he began to push them doors David Livingston ended up in Africa. He didn't actually get to China. He, he went and he had an incredible ministry in Africa. Or William Carey, he was a Baptist missionary to India in the late 1700s. He proposed to, to, to go to the South Seas, to China even, but God directed him to go to India. And in India, he gave millions of Bibles to millions of people in their native tongues. And so it is with these lads here, Paul and Silas and Timothy, it didn't stop them from pushing the door. It didn't stop them from being proactive and on the move. They operated as if God had already said yes to them until God said no. They were on mission. And in some degrees, they were blind as they were on mission, but they weren't deaf. They were aware of God's leading, despite not knowing the where, not knowing the why, the how, or even the when. 
But for these lads, they did not need to know these things because they knew well and they trusted well their guide. And you know, in the midst of all this disruption, take a look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. So how do we respond when it seems like God is closing door after door? We listen to God's voice. God's voice can be found in the scriptures. If you want to hear God speaking, then open your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you can take one with you today and bring it home and stick your name on it, and that one's yours. God's voice can be found through visions and through prophecies. God's voice can be found through circumstances, through the advice and the initiative of other Christians, or even perhaps through direct communication, possibly in an inward, subjective manner. We are to listen out for the voice of God. But as we listen out for the voice of God, we are not to become passive people. In Proverbs 16, it says, in their hearts, humans plan their steps, but the Lord establishes their steps. Proverbs 19 says, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. So do you see, we we make plans and God directs and guides our steps. And remember where Paul and the lads are at. They've traveled hundreds of kilometers at this point. They're in the thick of it. Look with me at verse 10. It says, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Do you see that? We got ready at once. It's, it's moved. Do you notice the royal way? It wasn't just Paul. It wasn't just Silas and Timothy. The author of the book of Acts is a guy called Luke, a doctor. Luke joins them at Troas. And it is quite possible that had they not have confronted these closed doors and ended up at Troas, they would never have encountered Luke and the book of Acts may not have been written the way it was for us today. You know, Paul shared with them the vision and it says they concluded that God has called us to preach the gospel. Didn't they say a word concluded? How do we respond when it seems that God is closing door after door? We involve others in our decision-making. And this is, this is a call to you. It's a call to me. We are to involve other people in their decision-making to discern God's call. Maybe that's going abroad for the summer. Maybe it's taking the year out, perhaps. Maybe it's job opportunities. One that provides better money, but it's going to take up more of your time. One that provides less money, but it's going to give you the opportunity to, to plug in with your church community. All these different decisions. We all make big decisions. We all make small decisions. But look at how these guys made a decision. They concluded, they joined together, they brought together, they sought wisdom from one another. And they made a collective decision. And so what they had was two no's plus one vision. And that was basically the formula for go to Macedonia. And guys, I wonder, I wonder how, how do you discern God's activity in your life? Or maybe how, do, how does decision making take its form? To what degree do you involve other people in your decision making? Or do you involve anyone in your decision-making? What if they disagree? What if they go against what, what you want? So it's probably better not to tell anyone because you, you want to make a decision that's, that, that, that you think is good for you, even though it might be a little bit selfish. But if you, if you tell somebody else, then maybe they'll catch you out. What if they disagree? What if they bring challenge? Maybe what if they bring a different perspective? How willing would you be to change your mind, to change direction, or even open to rebuke? I imagine Paul and the lads, as they set off, the spirits are high. They're in great form. They get about 50 kilometers and, and it says the Spirit of God says no. 
when it seems like God is closing door after door, I want to encourage you to involve others in your decision making. Pray together. Discuss your plans. Tell some people you trust your thoughts. Don't just get advice, but seek advice. You know, for these guys, a few days later, the spiritual door was opened for them to go into Macedonia. And in Macedonia, they're going to find an even greater field of service. You know, God's delays are often preludes to great blessing. His denials are sent for our protection. And at times, he requires us to wait. And in these moments, these are moments that he uses to build our faith. And church, we must be really, really slow to become despondent whenever we come up against closed doors. But rather, we must be willing to wait for God's timing in our lives. And I'll tell you this, as you wait for God's timing in your life, you will not be disappointed. And how do I know that? Let's look at where the passage goes next. They end up making their way to Philippi, a Roman colony in modern-day Greece. And Philippi was really just a, a Rome away from home, Rome, Rome away from Rome. And on the Sabbath day, they, they looked out for a synagogue, uh, but there were very few Jews to be found. There wasn't even a, a, a synagogue, but there was a place of prayer just in the outskirts of the town, just in the outskirts of the city. They come across this place of prayer, and they find some woman sitting there. They joined them, and no doubt, on their travels to this point, they're wondering, where, God, where are you leading me? Where are you leading us? Where are we going to go? We wanted to go here and you said no, so we went north and you said no again, so we, we, headed, we headed west. And, and you've taken us now to Philippi, to this Roman, Roman colony. Surely all the toil, all the travel and all the tears wasn't going to just lead them to, to a, a, a small group of women sitting at a river. I want to tell you this, whenever they get to Philippi, we're going to see this this week and next week, they encounter, there's three people that encounter God's grace in remarkable ways. There's three people whose lives are transformed by God. We hear one today, we'll hear two next week. Look with me at verse 14. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. Not just cloth, but purple cloth, which was expensive. And she was a worshiper of God. So we've got a businesswoman, Lydia, She's from Thyatira, and Thyatira was, was popular when it came to cloth making. And so with Lydia, we've got a, a woman who, who travels city to city, sells cloth, expensive cloth. She's really our Brown Thomas equivalent. She was someone who sold beautiful goods to beautiful people. And it says that she was a worshiper of God. It's a strange term. It's a term that was used to describe the Roman centurion back in Acts 10. Who, who was known as a God-fearer. In other words, Lydia had left behind her pagan roots and she was exploring the God of the Bible. And the Bible at that time was the Old Testament. And we see the gospel coming to her as these missionaries sat down with them and as Paul presented to her the gospel. And this is why we should not give up pushing doors. This is why we should not give up pushing doors because the Lord still opens hearts. You know, after all they'd been through, here is where God was leading them to a moment that would shape history, not just for those present, but for millions more as the gospel is proclaimed for the very first time in Europe. Look what it says in the text. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. 
You know, the meaning of this word also means attracted. She was attracted by Paul's message. She was attracted by the gospel. Here's a businesswoman dealing in high-end fashion, and she, she lives saw more beauty than most. But yet her heart is captivated above all else by what? By the gospel. The Greek philosophy that she was accustomed to was empty. It couldn't fulfill her deepest desires. She left that. And as she turned to the Old Testament law, she found that she was unable to keep it. And here Paul is saying to Lydia that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, fulfilled in full all the requirements of the law. And he himself became the once for all sacrifice to atone for her sin and would give her access to relationship with God. And in turn, God's righteousness is imputed to her. She is captivated by a beauty that she has never before experienced. And you know, Church, this is a beauty that she may never have experienced had the lads have turned back. Imagine if they had got to that, that first door. They're going for the province of Asia and God says no and they turn back. Had they have turned back, she would never have encountered the beauty of the gospel. Had the lads have thrown in the towel, had the lads have gone against the voice of God. And you know, God's delay and God's denial had indeed been a prelude to great blessing. And look at the result. Look at the result of it. Lydia gets baptized. She invites them into her home. And you know, the invitation into the home wasn't just a moment of cultural politeness. Her offer was motivated by her belief in the Lord and her desire to serve other people, to invite people into their home. It was, it was, it was an intimate moment. Her house became the meeting place for the growing number of believers in Philippi. We see it in verse 40 in chapter 16. Her house becomes the basis of the church in that city. Do you notice how crucial it is to open your home for ministry? The very first 300 years of Christianity, Christian ministry happened in homes. It didn't happen in secondary schools. It didn't happen in churches. It didn't happen in cathedrals. It didn't happen in big fancy buildings. They happened in homes. Ministry happened in homes. Ministry happened in living rooms. For, for the majority of you, you, you don't own your homes and you rent the homes and the homes belong to somebody else. I tell you this, church, I don't, I don't care who the home belongs to. Christian ministry can happen anywhere where you find yourself. So whether you own your home or whether you rent your home, whether you simply have a bed in a shared house, Christian ministry can happen there. I know some of you host city groups. It'd be great to have so many more city groups in this city. I wonder what it would look like even just to host a couple of people or to invite somebody over to, to have fellowship with one another in, in your home. One of my greatest dreams here in Dublin is to have a, a door that is wide open and a huge table. And the, the door that is open is for every single one of you. And the big table is that we can sit down and share with one another. First 300 years of Christian ministry happened in homes. You know, the history of the world has been changed by Christians who have opened their homes. And equally, the history of the world has been changed by Christians who risk in faith. You know, over the weekend, news broke of the death of George Verwer. He was the founder of Operation Mobilization. He was an evangelist. He was a pioneer. And one of his good friends said that his, his all-consuming passion in life has been to be a channel whereby people would become long-term friends of Jesus. And you know, as a young man, as George sensed God calling him out, uh, he said these words, he said, God broke my heart, he said. 
I saw things in my heart that were not right, and I knew I had to respond. I must be willing to take risks for the kingdom. I think George was between 18 and 21 at this stage. I must be willing to take risks for the kingdom. Guys, whenever we take risks for the kingdom, we will come up against closed doors. We will come up against pushback. But lives that are lived radically for God will result in opportunities to carry the very same gospel and the very same power to people who are desperate to be filled. George Verwer was a pioneer. And in some respects, his dreams were huge. They were nearly too big. He went and he raised a ton of money and he bought two ships, one called Lagos Hope and the other called the Dulos. The ships would travel around the world carrying millions of Bibles, going to the port towns of the city. Christians would come. They would bring their non-Christian friends. They would get on the boat. They would give the Bibles away. People would come to know Jesus. In George Verwer's final video log that he made just only a couple of weeks ago, uh, the log was five, five minutes long. And at the very end, he says this, I hope when people think of me, I hope when people think of me, they'll remember the passion to see everyone in the world have the opportunity to read or hear the gospel. That's what he lived for. That's what he died for. And I tell you this, church, Dublin is filled with Lydia's. Dublin is filled with Lydia's who are hungry and searching people. But what it requires of the church is a spirit-filled, mobilized people on mission, seeking to reveal the gospel of Jesus, all the while trusting God to be the one who opens hearts. Do you see how the two work in tandem here? It is us, it is the church that are mobilized and sent out to bring the good news of Jesus to a people who are hungry and searching, but it is the Lord that opens hearts. So I want that to be an encouragement to you. I don't know who, who you've been reaching in, in, in the past few weeks. I don't know who the people are that you're praying for. For me, it's the lads in the football club. Our job is to carry the gospel to people, but it's the Lord's job to open hearts. And God uses us in his mission. So a few months into my placement in, I think, 2009 or 2010, uh, the guy sitting in the desk across from me begins to ask some questions and he became really curious about Jesus. He often would have asked questions, what, and, and most of it just started off from, what, what are you doing at the weekend? And I would have had my, my young adults uh, thing on a Friday night, and then I would have had church on a Sunday, and who knows what else on, on the Saturday, but he would have just asked questions. He would have saw something a little bit different about me to, to some of the other people. He noticed a guy that, that, that didn't swear. He noticed a guy that refused to talk ill of other people. He, he saw a guy that refused to engage in office politics. So whenever somebody leaves a room, everyone uh, slags him. He noticed a guy that was just a little bit different. And he became really curious about Jesus. He loved to ask questions, but the questions were in one-to-one -one settings. And not really public. He didn't really want to be found out. And so with one of the questions, he asked about church. And at this time, I was going to a church that was about one hour from where, where we were working. So I encouraged him to go to a church, and he did. He began to attend an old church that he'd previously been at years earlier. And you know, it wasn't long after that he took me aside one afternoon, and he told me that he's now become a Christian. He's now started to follow Jesus. You know, it was God doing the work in his life. Maffey didn't save him. Maffey didn't convert him. God did. 
God opened his heart to the gospel. But God also used the young placement student to be the vessel that carried the hope of the gospel. You know, very often our setbacks are actually God's setups for a step up. And you know, we've all heard the phrase, whenever one door closes, the other one opens. And that's what happened here. And I wonder what would have happened had I have, have received uh, an acceptance from the first job that I had applied for. I wonder what would have happened had I not have had all these rejections, all these closed doors. Would this guy have come to have known Jesus had I not have saw all these no's? In the moment, I didn't know what God was doing. In the moment, it just seemed that Matthew's been rejected. In this moment, it just seems that no, nobody wanted Matthew to work for him. In this moment, I didn't know what God was doing. God was orchestrating something. That would lead to a point where a man came to know and follow Jesus. I was sharing this this morning, and I thought, you know what, I'd love to go on his Facebook just to see what the story is. I haven't saw him in years. The guy loves Jesus. He's still following the Lord. You know, as a church on mission, every day and everywhere, we should not give up pushing doors because the Lord still opens hearts. Father, so often, so often we can be quick to, to become despondent whenever doors close. And I pray, Father, that instead of despondency, you would build in us a spirit of perseverance. That whenever doors close, our heads would not drop, but we would still continue to push doors. That we would still continue with the gospel because we never know what you're going to do. We never know what you're orchestrating. And I pray, Father, that we would take heart because we know that you divinely guide us. And I pray, Father, that you would help us listen out to your voice. May we be a people who have open Bibles, a people who are, who are attentive to your still, small voice, to the whisper of the Holy Spirit. May we be a people who are not afraid to ask our friends and, and ask our, even our church leaders for, for wisdom and for advice. Father, I pray that you would help, help us as a church to involve other people in our decision making. And Lord, I pray that you would give us a, a spirit of risk and a spirit of perseverance to continue to push doors because ultimately you still open hearts. And so, Jesus, for the, the, for the Lydia's in this city who, who do not yet know you, I pray that you would mobilize us, a church, a people, who would go and introduce the gospel to them. And maybe even for, for those who are, who are like a Lydia here today, Father, I, I pray that, um, that your gospel would, um, would, uh, would open their heart, that they would be attracted to your gospel, they'd be attracted to your good news. And maybe there's somebody here today who wants to come and, and to encounter the risen Jesus, who wants to come into relationship with God. And if there is, Father, I pray that you would lay that upon their hearts. And maybe for some of the rest of us, Lord, I pray that you would stir in us uh, a, a, this spirit of risk and perseverance to go again. That maybe we've, we've had knockbacks after knockbacks. I pray, Jesus, that you would strengthen us and you would send us out once more in your name. Amen. Amen.